Good morning. Y'all are a little lopsided this morning. There's a lot of you over here. <laughs> There's not many of you over here. Um, it took me, it took me a while to build up the nerve to ask my soon-to-be father-in-law for his blessing that I would take his daughter in marriage. Uh, it took me a little while. So finally got a time set up and went and met with him. We, had, we were having a nice, lovely discussion. And finally, I just, I just said, okay, I got, I'm going to do it. And so I said, Ned, I've got a question. I've got a question to ask you. And I was hoping that you might give me your blessing that I could have your daughter's hand in marriage. And, and my father-in-law, Ned, looked at me. I mean, he looked at me square in the eyes, very prayerfully, and said, Tyler, prepare to die. <laughs> Not exactly the answer I was looking for, but it turned out okay. <clears throat> prepare to die. And, and if you've been married, and maybe even if you haven't, you, you can probably recognize this, but if you've been married, you know how true that is, don't you? You know how true that is, that to be married, and in the Christian sense, to be married meaning to, to join two people into one flesh, to do that, you've got to die. Part of you just has to die. Actually, all of you has to die so you can become a new person with your spouse, a new creation in God. And so I want you to keep that image in mind, that image of Christian marriage, of Christian love, this, this about a death to ourselves as we look at our passage today. Because, frankly, the Christian life is about new creation, Paul, in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, Anyone who is in Christ, behold, he is a new creation. And to be a new creation, the old creation has to die. Isaiah says as much in, in, his, in, his, in his prophecy. He says, Behold, the, the new has come, the old has passed away. Behold, a new creation. Isaiah uses that same language. And so to be a cre- new creation, we have to die. To be a new creation in marriage, we have to die to be a new creation in Christ. We have to die. And because of that, you can get Paul saying stuff like, I've been crucified. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ Jesus who lives, in with, me, who lives with me, who lives in me. Paul has died. Saul has died. He's become Paul. New life in Jesus Christ. So we're going to unpack that a little this morning. What does it mean for the Christian? What does it mean to prepare to die? And we're going to see that in Matthew's Gospel. Tom, maybe, can you pull up Matthew's Gospel, the first part? Yeah, just the first part. There you go. All right, so we'll get started here. So Matthew's Gospel, we're in chapter 16, verse 21. And you might remember John last week uh, uh, talking about where we are. They were in Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus gave his famous pop quiz, and he had the really hard question. that said, who do you say that I am? And Peter, in a moment of amazing clarity, says, well, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. This was all happening a few verses earlier. And Jesus, Jesus isn't one to give out a whole lot of accolades, accolades, and he says, yes, Peter, you got it. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Simon, son of John. Blessed are you. (laughs) But I know you didn't figure that out by yourself. God was speaking through you. And so Peter has recognized his Messiah. Peter has been blessed by Jesus. And we get to today's verses. 
And the question we, we need to keep in mind, when Peter says, oh yes, Jesus, you're the Messiah, what is he thinking? What is he expecting? When Peter says this, what does a first century Jew think? What's going through his mind? And what's going through his mind is his thousands of years of Israel's history. What's going through his mind is God's call to Abraham to be a light to a nation, to, to make his descendants number the stars in the sky. What's going through Peter's mind is our passage from the Old Testament this morning. Slavery in Egypt and God sending Moses to rescue his people, to cross the Red Sea and to lead them into the promised land. What's going through Peter's mind is the reign of David and Solomon when Israel was glorious, when Israel was a major player on the world scene, when Israel was this close, this close to being the light to the nations that God had for them. What's going through Peter's mind is the recognition that all of his forefathers and the kings of Israel had sinned over and over again, had engaged in idol worship, had engaged in worship of false gods, had been sent into exile, taken up from the promised land, and exported all the way to Babylon, where, where Baghdad is today. And what's going through Peter's mind is the fact that when these folks came back, when they thought they were ready to be restored, to be a kingdom that God had called them to, it wasn't quite the same. The temple wasn't quite the same. The worship wasn't quite the same. They, they, weren't, you know, they weren't an independent kingdom. They were... They were they were under different nations, under the Persians, under the Greeks, and now under the Romans. And so what Peter is thinking is, finally, this Messiah has come, that God has promised, and he's going to kick them out. He's going to show them who God is. He's going to show them who God's chosen people are. We're going to be Israel, the Israel of David and Solomon again. I picture perhaps even a younger child who maybe was being picked on by his siblings, and then comes dad in to take care of things, and that younger child all of a sudden isn't unhappy. He's, he's sneering a little bit, perhaps. Maybe he's got a little smirk on his face. Ha ha, look what you did. Peter's saying, ha ha, Romans, my God is here. You're in trouble now. That's what he's thinking. And so we get to uh, verse 21 up there on the screen. Jesus tells Peter that he's right, that he is the Messiah. He doesn't want anybody else to know. Um, and he says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. What do you think Peter thought about that? There were probably a lot of people going around thinking they were the Messiah. You know, this, this was an expectant time and, and maybe lots of little messiahs thinking they're going around. So if you had your Messiah... And you were following your Messiah, and then your Messiah died on a cross, no less. It was time to find a new Messiah. And so here's Jesus saying, I'm the Messiah, and by the way, I'm going to die. Um, and Peter doesn't take too kindly to that. And Peter says, no, 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 that's not what I expect. That's not what I want. That's not what you said you were going to do. That doesn't sound like the promises of 2 Samuel 7, where there would be a forever king. That doesn't sound like the promises of Ezekiel where you said you'd restore the nation of Israel? You don't sound like the Messiah at this point. So no, Lord, that will never happen. And Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. Just four or five verses ago, this man 
had on his lips the word of God himself. And now he has on his lips the word of Satan. Jesus knows his mission. Jesus knows what he's here to do. And so he has to respond sharply to Peter because Jesus knows that he must die. That the problem isn't the land. That the problem isn't the temple. The problem isn't a king. Even if Jesus had restored all of those things, the problem of sin would still be there. The fact of the matter is that the people of God were actually separated from God in their sin. And Jesus had to take care of that first. So yes, all those things are coming. They're coming in the age to come, the new heavens and the new earth, when we'll all be in the promised land of, of new creation, where our King, who, who's with us now, but we will be with us in glory and power, where every nation will tremble, every nation will confess Jesus Christ as Lord. That's coming, but first we have the problem of sin. And Jesus needed to fix that, and the way he was going to do that was to die. To die on the cross. To take our punishment for sin so that, so that God's kingdom would be restored. And so Peter came to Jesus with a set of expectations and priorities and, and things he was looking for and desiring in all his heart. And Jesus said, sure, bring those, but you've got to be able to put them down. You've got to be able to lay them aside. You have to die to that stuff so you can live. So you can live in me. So we'll pause for a second and let's check in. Where are we? Well, the fact of the matter is that, that, that we often, all of us, come to Jesus in that way. Some of us for the first time, some of us for the fourth, fifth, sixth, one hundredth time, whatever. We're still coming to Jesus that way from time to time. Think back to our marriage analogy. We're thinking about ourselves often when we come into marriage. It's often, you know, what's good for me? Finally, Finally, I'll be, I'll be married and I'll have this person who can fulfill me. This person who can, in the words of Jerry Maguire, this person can complete me. Finally, maybe, when I'm married, maybe I'll, be, maybe I'll be happy. Maybe this person will do something to me and make me happy. And what happens? Those of you who are married, what happens? That attitude's got to die. That attitude's got to die, and it's got to die quickly. No, we come into marriage for something totally different. And so it is with Jesus. What if we come to him thinking, Jesus, just fix what I need. Fix what I need fixing. Just leave the rest alone. Isn't that what Peter was saying? Jesus, be my Messiah, but make sure you stick it good to those Romans. Or how about us? Jesus, forgive me my sins. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, provide for me. But ooh, don't ask me. Don't ask me to cut back on that drinking before I have one or two beers too many. Don't ask me to stop with the gossiping. Don't ask me to stop going to those computer sites. Don't ask me to take a stand against the rampant consumerism that fills this society. Don't ask me to talk to you about others or to my children. Don't ask me to give away my money or serve the poor. Yes, Jesus forgives. Yes, he heals. Yes, he provides. And he wants to do that abundantly. And that's what he came to do. But he asks us to come for that and then to lay everything else aside. To lay it all aside. That's what he's calling us to. So back on our screen, then Jesus, I'm reading from my translation. This one's different and that's good, so compare them. Um, Jesus said to his disciples, 
If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is calling us to new life, but to get there, to get to new life, we have to go through death. We have to take up our cross and deny ourselves. When Jesus says take up his cross, take up your cross, imagine you're in Palestine under Roman rule, and, somebody, and you saw somebody walking down the street with a cross. It's not like a necklace. This isn't fancy jewelry or anything. This is a cross. They're going to die. If you're carrying a cross, you're going to die. And Jesus is saying, pick up your cross. Pick up my cross. Go. Follow me and die with me so that you can be a new creation. Simon, if you can do that, Simon Peter, you will no longer be Simon. You will be Petros, the rock. Peter, the rock. That's what happens when we die with Jesus. So in verse 25, whoever would save his life, whoever would hang on to that stuff, to that stuff they don't want to give up, to that stuff that they don't want to submit to the cross, whoever would hang on to that will lose it all. But whoever gives up his life for the sake of Christ will save it. For whoever who gives up his life for the sake of Christ will save it. And so we must be prepared to die. Let's, let's think back again to our marriage analogy. <clears throat> Obviously, marriage is about joy and love and, and happiness and finding happiness with somebody. But if we come in with this self-centered centered attitude, you fulfill me, you complete me, I'll get something out of you for me, then, then it's not going to work. That's got to die, like we said earlier. Imagine sitting at the table, okay, just you and your, your spouse, and say, okay, spouse, I'm waiting. You're going to complete me now, fulfill me, come on, do something. That's not how marriage works. Marriage is about just enjoying one another and being satisfied with one another, and that's our relationship with God, being satisfied with him, enjoying him, so that when he asks us to obey him, we can submit. The problem is we have a hard time with that. Again, think back to marriage. Well, first of all, if God asks us to obey him, often we want to say, well, why, God? Why do you want me to do that? Just explain it to me, and then I'll do it. I'll get it. And, and it doesn't work that way. If you're married, if you're married, and this is just an example. I certainly wouldn't have this problem. If you're married and your spouse says, would you please wash the dishes? And you respond, well, why? Why should I do that? I mean, there's a perfectly logical answer. Well, if you don't wash them, they're going to be dirty all night. And then you wake up in the morning and you're going to be hungry and you don't have any clean place to eat all. So if you want to eat, you better wash the dishes. Oh, okay, that makes sense. I'll wash the dishes. No. So if God calls us to do something, we say, well, why, God? Why should I do that? Why don't you explain yourself to me, Lord of the universe? Explain yourself to me, then maybe I'll follow. It doesn't work like that. That's just simply me first thinking. If, when we truly love God, if we love Him like He's calling us to love Him, love Him just to enjoy His presence, just so we're not trying to get anything out of this, we just obey Him. We just do it because. Think, think theologically with me for a second. And, and the Trinity, and, and we can't explain this, it would take three books, but we think about the Trinity before the beginnings of time and, and, and you know, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit hanging out loving each other in, in, in a full servant love that they have and, and knowing about man and man's sin and, 
and the Trinity making a decision for Jesus and saying, okay, Jesus, I need you to obey me. I need you to come down from, from heaven, from this glorious love we share, I share as a Trinity. Come down, God, to earth. Walk this earth. And you know what? While you're down there walking, I'm going um, to need you to do something. I'm going to need you to pick up a cross. I'm going to need you to carry it to a place called Golgotha. I'm going to need you to let those Romans nail your hands and your feet to that tree. And by the way, the pain you experience, the pain you experience when they do that to you will be nothing, will be nothing compared to the pain of separation from me as you take on the sins of this world. That's what I want you to do, Jesus. He knew why, but he didn't ask. He just did it. He just did it. So we come to Jesus like Peter, and we want to be transformed. Consider Peter. Consider his transformation. Consider this man speaking the word of Satan, who would go on to proclaim the gospel, who would go on to follow Jesus, and not just simply follow him in some sort of spiritual way, to follow him to death. Jesus, or Peter carried his own cross. Peter was crucified upside down even for the sake of his God. And that's what Jesus is calling us to, to be, to be like that. To come to him, and however you want to come, just come. It doesn't matter. Just come. Bring all your stuff. Bring all your baggage. But let it be transformed. Let it be transformed. Because following Christ demands that we are prepared to die. Prepared to give up everything for the sake of Christ. I'm going to quote, leave you with a quote from one of my favorite authors. His name is Tim Keller. He's talking about creation and why we were created. And this gets to the heart of the problem, the heart of the issue is why are we here? We're here to love God with a love that's not based on us, but that's based on Jesus Christ. He calls this love entering into the dance. Keller writes, God must have created us to invite us into the dance. To say, if you glorify me, if you center your entire life on me, if you find me beautiful for who I am in myself, then you will step into the dance, which is what you were made for. You are made not just to believe in me or to be spiritual in some sort of general way, not just to pray and get a bit of inspiration when things are tough. You were made to center everything in your life on me to think of everything in terms of your relationship to me, to serve me unconditionally. That's where you'll find your joy. And so we have Jesus. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you would please pray. Lord, we come to you with baggage. 
We come to you with our own stuff, our own expectations, our own hopes and desires, and Lord, we ask that you transform those. Show us the life you have for us, the new life, the new creation. Forgive us, Lord. Heal us. Provide for us. Help us, Lord, to follow you, to center our lives on you. We ask this all through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.